from GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. From a brand perspective, you know, if you put your brand on a piece of plastic, you know, if you think about the plastics industry, I mean, every single piece of plastic that hasn't been incinerated is still here today. Ellen MacArthur is founder of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. She spoke with me at the GreenBiz17 conference about the circular economy, what it means, how we'll get there, and the massive amounts of money that goes into waste disposal that can become a new source of value for companies. Let's listen in. I have been watching, Ellen, this amazing journey of it seems like only two or three years, but really over the last year or two of ramping up this, this awareness and engagement uh, on the private sector, uh, by the private sector, of this thing called the circular economy. Uh, how's it going? How would you assess where we are in this journey that you've set out on and that you've helped bring so many to? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I think, first of all, we've been at this now for five and a half years. We launched in September 2010, so outside of the US, it's been a, a longer journey. Um, as to where we are on our circular journey at the moment, we probably only know 2% of what the circular economy really is. It's fundamentally a change in the way the economy functions from the outset, the way materials flow through the, the economy, the way that energy is used within the economy. Um, so there's, there, there are huge changes that we can see ahead of us and we are still uh, grasping to understand. But the more we learn, the more opportunity we see is there and both economic and also outside of that too. So it's, it's certainly driven by opportunity and I think that's one of the reasons we've seen such great take up in the idea from businesses, cities, regions, governments, uh, universities, uh, emerging innovator companies. There's this opportunity there for the taking and that's driving a lot of the, the energy around it. But it feels like the conversation has shifted, that this idea of a continuous loop, of, of keeping the molecules in play, of, 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 of factories with, and, and product cycles with no waste, with no end of life, uh, that, you know, not that many years ago, that just seemed like one of those, you know, California woo-woo kinds of conversations. And yet now you've got so many companies that are talking about this, do you, do you feel it's something, is it just talk or is this really starting to come together? No, I think you know, we're still early, early days. I, you know, that, I should reiterate that because we're at the beginning of that journey, but there are significant numbers of companies now out there who see this as core strategy and, and not just companies. You know, the journey we've been on over the last four years with the European Commission has been phenomenal. You know, when they presented their, their circular economy package in December, that was all about competitiveness, employment, and innovation for Europe. It was, it was resilience for the region of Europe. It talk, was, to talk a little about what that package was. What, what was that all about? Well, the circular economy package began as the European Resource Efficiency Platform, which was launched about three and a half, four years ago. Uh, we were asked to go and present in the inaugural meeting, um, which was led by Janis Potocnik, who was the Environment Commissioner at the time, together with other Directorate Generals within the Commission. And they were looking for... Uh, an answer to the question as to how can Europe be more resource efficient? How can we be more resilient? You know, we're, we don't have a massive number of resources, yet we, huge, we use a huge amount. 
And I presented circular economy as, as an idea around you know, how we could use materials differently. We were very early in the journey of understanding the economics, but we, have our, we had our first two reports by that stage. Um, and then there was also the US investment specialist, Jeremy Grantham, who talked about you know, the asset bubbles and some of the challenges around resources. That then led to circular economy iteration one. And then when the new government came in, they took that package and they re-evaluated it and they positioned it actually very squarely in that innovation um, in the future of Europe, you know, competitiveness and, and jobs, and that's where it sits today. And they've actually mobilised 24 billion uh, through the European Development Bank to, to be driven towards circular economics. What does that mean when you mobilise money towards circular economics? What is actually, where's that money going towards? Uh, industry projects, research funding, uh, um, uh, infrastructure projects. It's basically saying, you know, people who have circular economy projects at scale, then that money is there to help to accelerate those. It's also been a conversation at Davos, uh, World Economic Forum. Uh, you, I think, lead or co-lead the uh, uh, Circular Economy Meta Council. I mean, the fact that there's a Circular Economy Meta Council at the World Economic Forum, it kind of mind-blowing. What's the conversation taking place there, and is it, what's going on? Well, uh, this January was the fifth time we've been to the World Economic Forum, and five years ago it, it was not the same. We went with our first economic report. We just finished that with uh, McKinsey and the global partner CEOs had, had supported that at the time. We were brand new. We were only uh, just over a year into the life of the foundation. And we presented a report in a little room, uh, which wasn't part of the World Economic Forum. Many people do that. They, you, know, you rent a room and you go along and you present a, your findings. A side event, kind of. And, and some people from the World Economic Forum came along and they were very interested in the idea. And I think the fact that you know, we presented this as a different economic model driven by statistics. It was driven by economic benefit. There was money there for the taking. In fact, that report showed for Europe it was 630 billion US dollars. Uh, so it was, a, you know, it was a huge figure. And that created interest to the point that 12 months later, at the following WEF, we were invited in. Um, and we, were, we participated in five individual events on circular economy at WEF, and that's led to a relationship with WEF. We're a global initiative collaborator now, and there are many conversations going on within the World Economic Forum on circular economy. Again, trying to understand its, you know, its implications and what it means for the wider economy, and, and how can we make this happen? How can we, we drive this transformation? One of the, I guess, downsides or unintended consequences of a of a movement, a meme, a term that, that gets uh, currency fairly quickly is that a lot of people use it even if they don't necessarily talk about it the same way. And I've, I've seen this, I've had a lot of conversations with companies about the circular economy and, and they say, oh yeah, we're, 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 we're very interested, we're engaging in that, well, what does it mean? And then they'll talk about something that's you know, old school, take back, yeah. Uh, yeah. recycling, you know, reuse and, and some other things. How, first of all, how, how do you tell people that, well, that's not quite the circular economy, here's what it is? Are those conversations, first of all, are you seeing, uh, 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 let's say, a liberal use of the term, and how do you talk to them about sort of where this really wants to go? I, th I think it's a balance. You know, the idea is, is it's definitely gaining momentum. You know, we've been tracking it for the last five and a half years at the foundation, which is a fantastic thing. You know, what we try and do is continue to, to push out the, the, you know, the economic rationale and the insights and analysis to, to, to paint a, another part of the picture of circular economy. You know, we know now a hundred times more than we did when we launched the foundation. Everybody's learning. Um, and then when it comes to companies, I think it's, it's, a, it's a fine balance. You know, we work with many companies all over the world now. Probably 25% of the companies in our C100 network are here from the US. And companies, some come to the circular economy from zero. 
you know, they don't have circular thinking within the business. Yeah. And by circular thinking, that tends to be, for example, with the global partners that we work with, from the top down. So there is a strategic goal to make the company more resilient, to uh, build company principles so you have a, a regenerative and restorative nature in the way those materials are used. And that could be Philips, as we had mentioned earlier, providing uh, lighting as a service. That means you change your design of the lights. It means you change the way you provide the energy of the lights. Philips often actually pays the electricity bills themselves. They're then incentivized to build more efficient equipment. And then they know at the end of the life of that equipment, or the end of the use, it goes back to them because it's their equipment. And that incentivizes a whole different system, for example, within Philips. When you start with a new company, that's not necessarily the same at all. And you don't have that transformational change within the business. But we often find there are pockets of circular activity that happen already. They are not the circular economy as a whole, but you can often find you can tie together those pieces of activity that start to build the circular picture and give that company something to build on. It's not always the case, but it, it often is. And then there's a third category of companies uh, that are, let's call them legacy companies, that make things that have a service life that's of, of considerable time. So for example, I, I talked to a, a company in the building products space um, uh, that was very interested in engaging this and they're trying to figure out, first of all, their products uh, have a lot of glass in them and, they, uh, and they're, they're, they have a life of 10 or 20 years. And so there's their legacy products that have been in there, but it's also redesigning for a, an industry with a lot of specs, uh, not just building codes, but lead and all kinds of other things that, that they need to be designing and, and sort, of, sort of getting that cycle going is no small thing. And, and I imagine there's a lot of companies that are, that are kind of stuck uh, mm -hmm. trying to figure out well, where do we get into this given what we do and make. Yeah, there are challenges and you know, we have many conversations with businesses around those challenges. I think one of, well, this makes me think of two elements. One is, you know, at the moment when you design a product, and this is not the case for all companies, but certainly a, a large majority of companies, that product's not designed to fit within a system. So you design a product to do the job. It'll do that job brilliantly for the design life of the product. And then at the end, it gets remanufactured perhaps a little bit. Some of the material gets recovered, but it was never designed to fit within a system. So the first part is, you know, if you have technology with a fast churn rate, for example, you know, the, the glass partitions may be 10 or 20 years, but, you know, information technology, a smartphone, that's, that's quite fast churn rate. Actually, if you design to fit within a system and you can recover that product and you can get the materials out, then that's kind of okay. You know, you're building for a system rather than keeping selling, selling, selling in that very linear system where the materials, not all, but, but a vast majority, fall off the end. So it's the balance between the two, the design and also the system within which you, 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 know, you, you take your product into the marketplace. And that's often not selling. It would be the provision of service, probably working with another buildings company who provide the, you know, the buildings themselves. There's a company in the Netherlands called Turn2 that works with Philips. And you can have your office from Turn2. And I say it broadly, so you can have your office because actually you don't own the office. You don't own the carpet. You don't own the desks. They work with Steelcase, who I know are here. They work with Philips on the lighting. They work with Desso on the carpets. You, know, you pay to have 450 lumens at desk height. Philips builds the electricity you know, system. They pay the electricity bill. They own all the lighting, and you know, they look after it for you. It's a very different model and involves multiple players. So seeing how that company could fit within that system as it innovates and moves forward could be interesting. Let's talk about plastic, because I think that's just a really 
interesting and massive challenge in the circular economy of how do you make it, what do you do with it. You put out a report recently uh, called The New Plastic Economy, I think. That's cool. Um, and you had this remarkable statistic that, I can't remember, was it 2050 or by some year, that there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish. It's a frightening thing, but, but obviously you know, citing the need or underscoring the need for a, a circular model here. Uh, how do you think about plastics differently mm. and, and that whole value chain and the, all the products and packaging that that goes into? That's really... Massive. Your comment on how do you think about plastics differently is actually really key because you know, if you think about and you're providing an MRI or a CT scanner as a service, that's actually quite easy. Most companies could do that fairly easily. You know, Philips is working on that now. You provide a service, you remanufacture, you recover your materials, you've kind of created that system. But when it comes to plastic packaging, which would be, you know, which is 78 million tons of a 300 million ton plastic industry today, um, that's incredibly fast use. It, it's, it's never used for long. It's incredibly high volume, very low value. And, you know, we often talk about recycling plastics and, you know, the ability to recycle plastics. But the statistics after 40 years of trying are, are pretty poor. Right. We only recover globally 14% of plastic packaging. We lose 4% of that during the sorting process. We recycle 10%, but 8% of that gets downcycled, so eventually falls out of the bottom of the chain. And only 2% is cycled to the same value. So after 40 years of trying, the stats are, are So how do we poor. change that? And, and this was the question that we asked. And, and actually, that plastics report came from a, a question that, that we asked at the foundation was, you know, if we had a collaboration between the World Economic Forum, the foundation and McKinsey, as, as we have, called Project Mainstream, what could we do to actually really tackle some of the circular challenges within the economy? You know, those that are hard to tackle, like plastics. And we felt that actually even the biggest you know, retailer in the world or the biggest manufacturer of plastics in the world, you, you can't solve this because the value chain is so complex and a product could be made in the States and could end up in Asia or it could be made in the UK and end up in, in somewhere else in Europe. It's, it's incredibly fragmented. You know, even today we lose 32% of plastics predominantly into the environment or the ocean. So there's this massive loss of materials that could be picked up in one territory and not in another, but, but not specifically made for a territory or a collection system. So it's very complex. And we decided that actually the only way to really try and solve this is to get everyone together in a value chain. And we've been working now for two years, which led to the launch of the, the New Plastics Economy Report. With multiple companies, uh, we've uh, worked with over 140 different organizations, um, some very, very closely on this, um, also um, you know, educational establishments, universities, to try and look, and, and McKinsey, of course, for the analysis, to look at the chain of plastics, to actually put together a picture of what a global plastics materials flow looks like, which hadn't really been done before, and then to really put together a, a rationale and, and five points that we want to carry out through the project of the new plastics economy over the next three years. And the goal is to try to mobilize that same funding that we've seen within Europe on circular economy for the plastics question, and to put together design principles so that when you design for an innovative type of plastic, for example, to do a specific job, it's within a framework that can then either be recovered and revalorized or it's, it's something which is bio-benign. So if it ends up within the environment, it would just you know, deconstruct. I imagine if we get this right, that there's a significant economic opportunity here uh, for companies and value chains, uh, not just in efficiency, and, but I mean, is that, how do you quantify that or how do you articulate that opportunity? Well, we know from the study that we lose between 80 and 120 billion US dollars worth of, of value of plastic every year. 
So we're losing, we're losing that value. The, the raw material is lost. I mean, plastics is one of the hardest ones for sure because it's so complex, but there is a huge amount of value that's lost. We also looked at the externalities of the industry and actually the entire profit pool of the plastics packaging industry is not big enough to cover the externalities. So there are some big questions around plastics. I think also from a brand perspective, you know, if you put your brand on a piece of plastic, you know, if you think about the plastics industry, I mean, every single piece of plastic that hasn't been incinerated is still here today. It's either in the ocean or it's been landfilled or some of it would have been recycled into more plastic, but it, it's still here. We've, some of it's in our bodies. Some of it's in our bodies, some of it's microplastics in the ocean. It, it's, it really is everywhere. And, and if your brand is on that and that's something, you know, looking longer term, actually nobody wants this to be the case. You know, all the, we've worked with massive retailers in the plastics project. Everyone's on board with this. Everyone knows there is a, you know, there is, we have a broken system when it comes to plastics. We've done very well with paper, but actually plastics is way off. Textiles yeah. are way off. There are some which are real challenges. It feels like there's a, one of the parts of this, and I don't know if you're working on this or how you're addressing this, is there's a, there's a social challenge here as well as a value chain, life cycle challenge in terms of getting all of us and everyone that we uh, connect with thinking differently and understanding this. Is there a generational I, thing going on here? I think there is a thinking differently element for sure, without question. Um, but I think w what we're trying to do with the, the new plastics economy work is to create true systemic change. So as an example, we're not trying to say to people who use plastic, you need to collect your plastic and recycle it. Um, because Lots of people are doing that, and actually the statistics are incredibly small. You know, 2% remain at the same value. What we're trying to say is, you know, we've had this system for 40 years. It clearly isn't working for many reasons. How do we redesign the system so it can work? How do you go to the beginning of the chain? Not try and clean it up at the end, which is vital, and many people are doing that very well, but we're trying to stop it getting there. So we're going right to the beginning of the system and saying, what plastics do we need? What parameters do they need to be designed around? What territories do they go into? And then at that stage, there's the individual consumer facing this packaging or this packaging. But actually, we're not there yet because we haven't designed a system that can work in the long term. And if we get this right, I imagine that this becomes a no-brainer for the individual consumer because they, they either look for it or expect it or know what to do with things. It should be straightforward, and today it's not. You know, I work in this space, and... I get lots of plastics in, in my house in the UK and, and I don't know what to do with them. It yeah. isn't clear. Yeah. And I'm you know, passionate about this and have really tried to understand it. So we need to change that system. Yeah. Let's take a question or two. Uh, Lauren? Nope. Oh, Lauren? Yes, oh, yeah. I'm here. Um, so we had a couple of questions about sort of how you immediately illustrate that you're working towards a circular economy if you're an individual company. Specifically, are there any sort of certifications or standards out there right now? So, I mean, obviously, as, as the foundation, we have a business program, an innovation platform called the Circular Economy 100. Companies interested to learn more about circular economy, you know, that's, that's where we would start with, the, with those companies um, to create pre-competitive collaborations and bring together multiple companies from different sectors and create a dialogue. Um, but when it comes to uh, product design, cradle-to-cradle -cradle certification is out there now. That's designing in a way whereby you can recover the materials that you, you have very importantly, non-toxic materials within that product. So there's, there's a lot of work out there. I mean, essentially, circular economy is sharing economy, cradle-to-cradle -cradle design, industrial symbiosis, biomimicry. It's, it's basically looking at the entire economy through a different lens. And there's a phenomenal amount of work been done in that space over wow. the years. That's, that just right there alone was a, <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but give a little pitch for the CE100. Who is that? How do people, companies engage? What are you looking for? And you're launching in the U.S. Is that a separate group? 
Sorry, I'm asking so, a lot of questions. But no, no, that's, that's great. So C100 was really born from the realization that you know, the, the initial founding partners that we worked with at the foundation, which were businesses who put circular economy kind of at the core of their strategy, that was not enough. Working with, initially it was four businesses. That was never going to transform things. And we realized there was a real need to take the thinking out there. We'd just done our first economic report and we wanted to bring together companies from all over the world together with small emerging innovators, those small companies that aren't often uncovered, that don't get the airtime with the big corporations, because um, there are some amazing ideas that can almost more easily come from a startup, so to put them into the mix. Um, and then as we've built up the Circular Economy 100 program, we've brought in cities and regions, who are a key part of what we do within the C100 as the innovation platform. Um, we have two acceleration workshops a year. And then the fourth is our pioneer universities, one of whom is ASU here in Arizona. And actually the city of Phoenix also sits within the, the regions and cities program of C100. So it's about best sharing best practice and you know, a new company coming in to C100, really understanding what the circular economy is. To your point, Joel, actually, what is circular economy? This is not just about recycling. That's the loop of least value, actually. There's a lot more value to be had within the inner loops and changing the system. So just really bringing that thinking forwards. And then enabling work streams which go on a six-monthly cycle whereby multiple companies can come together and look at you know, carpet, fabric, apparel, textiles or a, a material. It could be you know, polypropylene. We've had great conversations between Renault and Unilever around polypropylene, which is not really valorized to a very high level at all today. So there's many conversations across industries that go on. And I think that's really exciting how you're bringing companies across sectors that don't necessarily or aren't necessarily part of one another's value chain to look at materials that they share mm -hmm. and how they can use that. That just seems... It, it seems basic, but it seems revolutionary all at the same time. I wish we had another 20 or 25 minutes, but these people have been incredibly patient, and there's this beautiful botanic garden with alcohol waiting for them. But before we go, <laughs> when we come back here in Green Biz 18, two years, what's the story you think you'll be able to tell about the circular economy and where it's moved to? Uh, how, how far it's progressed? I, I kind of, my gut says two things. One is that the idea has progressed further and, and actually you know, whether or not people use the word circular economy is irrelevant. Just the fact that the systemic change that's needed right through the business or right through the region or the city or the, you know, the plastics industry, that systemic change is being looked at rather than a part of the, of the challenge. Um, and then the second part, particularly actually to come back to plastics, would be you know, we've just launched a three-year project um, which has you know, come from the new Plastics Economy Report. We'd love to see that amount of money being mobilized from a research and innovation and, and, um, and, and kind of project perspective that we've seen with the circular economy within Europe to actually mo mobilize the finance to really change, shift the, the plastics industry globally would be absolutely fantastic. I know there'll be a point that you, that you want where circular economy is no longer term, it's just economy. Mm. But I think in the meantime, uh, and it's probably going to be a while, longer than you'd like. It's an incredibly useful concept and vision that we can all sort of see and, and, and so much more encompassing than, than recycling and take back and, and all these other things. It does create a vision of what's possible. Um, so I, I look forward to continuing to talk about it. I know that we will do our part to help elevate and amplify the work that not just you, but all of you are, are starting to do. Um, thank you so much for the work you do. I really mean that. It's such an incredible uh, value to this community, to all of us, to the, to the planet, obviously. But I think you're really uh, helping us do what we've all talked about for a long time, which is reinventing business through a sustainability lens. Join me in thanking Ellen MacArthur. Thank you so much. 
You've been listening to Ellen MacArthur of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation in conversation with me at the GreenBiz 17 conference. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into GreenBiz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.